Maybe they thought that's what the first message was worth. I'm not sure which way that went, but get your Bibles out this morning and open to Hebrews, Hebrews the 11th chapter, Hebrews the 11th chapter, and then um, after you find it, flip back over and turn to Genesis, and you can turn to Genesis about the 6th chapter, somewhere in there, we'll be in several places, and a little bit over there in a minute, and so, you know, this week on, um, on television, one night I came in, and um, Miss Dolly was, was watching, and there was a, a special on the flood. I think it was called Rise in Louisiana, and um, as, as you watched it, I couldn't help but wonder um, uh, about who your hero was. You know, um, there was a lot of heroes. There was a lot of people that risked limb and life. There was a lot of people that made great sacrifices um, that truly were heroes. Um, we were talking this morning, and... Um, Jason Ard was interviewed on a national um, scene about the flood, and one of the comments he made, short of the grace of God, we would have lost thousands, not we lost one. You know, that was grace. That was um, grace in so many, and as you watch the video, particularly the, the scene where, where the, the couple young men um, ripped the back of the, the, the car open and pulled the lady out as the car was going under, you realize um, how close grace came many times from many people and, uh, and so I understand today is um, one of those days that we have much to be grateful for and um, it's still a hard day for a lot of our folks because we have a lot of our folks who are still not back in their homes and those that are back in their homes um, very few are a hundred percent finished and complete and um, back and so um, we continue to pray for those and I'm grateful for for, for our church. I'm grateful even this week. Um, we had um, seven guys go Thursday and seven guys go Friday and seven guys go um, um, Saturday. And it wasn't the same seven guys, but amongst them, a group of about 10, um, they went and put siding on um, one of the houses that um, flooded um, from the flood. And so the, the recovery continues. Um, we've not forgotten. And so um, we just want you to know that this morning. And we talked about a lot of things. We talked about um, showing videos of all of our folks whose homes flooded, but um, we wasn't sure if that would bring tears of rejoicing or tears of sorrow. And um, we had 22 families in our small church that um, flooded. And, you know, and so we decided, um, you know, that really wouldn't do it justice either. And so um, we're going to go back to God. And so this morning I want to ask you a little different question. I want to ask you, um, who are God's heroes? Because... Um, you know, you may have a hero from the last year, somebody that's helped you out in a tremendous way, and I'm grateful for that. But the reality is um, we want to be counted as God's heroes. And so I want to talk about that this morning. And so um, I believe Noah is one of God's heroes. Noah is one of God's heroes, and it started long before a flood. Um, today is the one-year anniversary of that flood, but... They call it the Great Flood of 2016. I'm still kind of confused about that, folks, because it's kind of like Good Friday. You know, I'm not sure why they put certain adjectives in front of them, certain words. And, you know, um, I understand that a lot of good came from Friday, but um, um, it came at a great cost. And um, in many respects, the Great Flood is the same way. A lot of great things have come from the flood, but they came at a great cost. They came with um, a lot of heartache and a lot of tears and a lot of sorrow and and sweat and tears and, and folks um, are still rebuilding. But I hope today that God will offer us the hope before the next flood and during the next flood and after this flood because um, in God there is hope. Hebrews um, 11th chapter, 
I'll um, just read one verse right now, the, the seventh verse. By faith Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith he condemned the world and became the heir of righteousness that is in keeping with faith. Heavenly Father, we thank you for that. Father, we thank you um, for the story and the life of Noah. We thank you for um, so many lessons that um, through his life that um, you leave for us today. Things that um, will encourage us, things that will um, provide us some um, wisdom for the days that lie ahead. Father, I just pray that as we um, spend a few minutes and um, talk about um, a different flood, that Father, um, it um, reminds us that you're here in the midst of our flood. That Father, you always have been and always will be. Father, um, give us the faith of Noah. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, one side of me is I thought about what to do for the anniversary of today. Me and Brother Johnny had talked about it for weeks and, and months and, and thought about a lot of things. And when I ended up back here, I said, you know, Howard, that, that might be a stretch to preach about the flood on the anniversary of the flood. I mean, you know, is, is that just, um, but, you know, God reminded me that um, there really are. There's some huge lessons um, to encourage us um, in, in the way that we based on our response to a flood. And so Noah and the Ark are without a doubt one of the classic um, and most beloved stories in the Bible. I mean, you know, if you've got kids, grandkids, um, you know, neighbor's kids, I mean, at some point you've seen them playing with little plastic animals and they had a little boat and, you know, they, they were playing with the animals. And if you were ever in Sunday school, the, the Sunday school teacher at one point stood up and, and told the class and God sent the animals two by two, and they marched on the ark, and you, you know, you prayed your little animals up the little plank and, and onto the ark, and, you know, you had elephants and tigers, and, and you always have elephants and tigers, and you got to have a couple giraffes so they can stick the head out the window of the ark. I mean, y- y'all got that. I mean, that's, and, and so it is. It's that story, and, and, and it's a, a wonderful story, but, you know, the story of knowing the ark is um, more than a children's story. The story of knowing the ark is the story of God's rage and God's righteousness. The story of the ark is the story about um, salvation and damnation. The story of the ark, and maybe even more importantly than any of those things, is the story about one man's faith. And it's a story we cannot miss. In Genesis, the sixth chapter, Genesis, the sixth chapter, um, beginning at the fifth verse. Genesis chapter 6, beginning at verse 5. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe out from the face of the earth the human race I have created and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground, for I regret that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Amen. Amen for Noah, folks. Um, you know, the message um, translation looks at that, reads that last verse and says, Noah was different, and God liked what he saw. Oh, would that be said about all of us, that we were different, but God liked what he saw. You know, it just, in a world of corruption, um, what made Noah so different? 
I mean, in a world that I at times want to say, well, it was similar to our world, and we'll talk about that some more, but what made Noah stand out? What, what made the God of the universe look down and find Noah and see Noah and say, there's something different about that guy. There's something different about that guy, and I like what I see in that guy. Noah is the guy. It's faith. It's faith, and when you... um. The, the faith of Noah doesn't reveal itself in a particular statement that Noah does or, or one particular act in his life. It reveals itself in his life and in his love for God. And so that's the thing we see in Noah. And so the first thing that we see in Noah is Noah believed God. Noah, now how many of you in here believe God? Yeah, come on, you raise your hand. You believe God? Well, then I'm going to challenge that because if you believe God, then that means you're going to do everything God says. Okay, and so now we get to it, because there's one thing to say, I believe in God, and, and Noah did believe in God, but Noah didn't just have intellectual belief in God. He didn't just say, yeah, I know there's God, and, and God's up there. He, he had it on all together. He believed that God really meant what God said, and I'm convinced if we really believe that God meant what God said, we wouldn't do some of the things we do, and there's some things that we're not doing we'd start doing. But Noah believed that God was going to do exactly what God said. And God said he was going to destroy the entire earth with a catastrophic global, global flood. And he believed that in spite of what everything else told him. Because everything else told him something different, folks. Everybody he talked to told him something different. Everything around him told him something different. The environment told him something. Everything else told him something different. But he believed God. God said, this is what I'm going to do. And Noah says, yes, sir. I believe what you say, and since you try to put yourself in Noah's shoes, because Noah lived in a world, and the scripture says it was consistently and totally evil. As far as God was concerned, the earth had become a, a sewer. It was a place of violence. It was a place where, and when God saw how bad it was and how corrupt it was, he says, they are corrupt, and they're corrupting, and he says, everything in life has um, been corrupted. He says, life has corrupted to the core. And when I read that, I say, boy, that is the country in which we live. That is the world in which we live. But, folks, that ain't even close. It's not even in the ballpark. Noah had it so much worse. We, you know, sure, we've got our share of corrupt politicians, and we've got our share of um, entertainers and, and athletes that are supposed to be role models that are anything but athletes and role models because they have surely um, corrupted their morals and integrity. But, but look, thank God. Thank God in the world in which we live that the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ is still being told. And it's still being told and people are still, because even though we're surrounded by violence at times and crime and corruption and drugs and a lot of other things, today, today in our world there are millions and millions, if not billions, of followers of Jesus Christ. That not the day of Noah. That in no way is the day of Noah. And day of, day of Noah, Noah and his family were it. Knowing his family, could you imagine this morning being in church and you're the only one in church and I'm up here preaching to you? The only one in church and I'm preaching to you. No, I didn't mean in Live Oak Baptist Church. I meant in the world, in the whole world. I mean, that's where Noah found himself, folks. You know, so next time you think you've got it bad and you don't have any friends and nobody supports your point of view, you ain't got a hint. But Noah... Noah in that world, by himself, by himself, trusted and believed in God. You know, 
I, I suspect everybody around Noah thought he was completely insane. You know, this guy had to be crazy. I mean, because stop and think about the whole story here. Now, Noah's getting ready to build a boat for the big flood that's coming. You know, how many of y'all, when it started raining a year ago, believed that a, a flood was a possibility? <laughs> yeah, every one of you believed. Now, you didn't really think it was going to happen the way it happened, but you believed it was a possibility. And the reason you believed it a possibility, because you'd seen rain before, and you'd seen the water rise before, and you'd seen floods before. Most of us right here in this parish in our community don't have to go back but 20 or 30 years, and we can remember floods, folks. Noah didn't have that option. Noah didn't have it. It says Noah believed of things not yet seen because God said it. That's a different level of belief than we have quite often, folks. Noah believed in God, and I mean, he believed in him because if you go back to, to the second chapter, it says, the Lord had not caused it to rain on the land, and the mist was coming up from the land and was watering the whole face of the earth. They had drip irrigation. <laughs> Have you ever been to one of them nurseries where they got all the hanging plants and they got that little black line that just drip, drip? Isn't that so cool? You know, you ain't got to get out there and water it. It just takes care of itself day in, day out. That's the world in which Noah lived, folks. At that point, everything was still taking care of itself. I mean, it was still taking care of itself, and God was just making the ferns get right, the just right amount of mist on them every day, and the apple trees got the right amount of water, and everything was perfect. And, and, and all of a sudden, you know, this guy starts building this massive boat. Now, if you're building a massive boat and you're on the edge of the sea, some people say, okay, that makes sense. He's building this massive boat. You know, he's going to go float it out there in the sea, but he's building this boat and there ain't no body of water anywhere around. He's building a boat and there ain't no body of water around. And so I have to believe that everybody thought Noah was either talking to himself or, you know, had, a, had an invisible little person, that, that imaginary friend. And, Noah believed what God said. Let me just tell you, folks, it took a great deal of courage. It took a great deal of faith. It took a great deal of belief to continue to do that. Nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. In our world, how hard is it to go against the tide? How hard is it to um, stand up for right when um, nobody wants to stand with you? You know, we, we all understand that. I mean, look, um, doing right rarely means being popular, okay? And so understand that, accept that. Doing right rarely means being popular. Faith requires belief and trust in God in spite of popular opinion. William Penn penned, and I couldn't help but do that because in the first service it didn't dawn on me, but William Penn penned. He said, right is right even when everyone else is against it and wrong is wrong if, even if everyone's for it. Amen? I mean, that's it. Right's right. Wrong is wrong. We, it doesn't matter what everybody else thinks. When God has given us the definitive answer on right and wrong, that's the definitive answer on right and wrong. It really doesn't matter whether anybody else agrees with it or not. It doesn't really matter whether I agree with it or you agree with it. Right is right and wrong is wrong. And, and so Noah believed that and Noah understood that. And so as a process of that, his faith continues to be revealed and Noah built. Noah built exactly what God told him to build. How many of us build exactly what God tells us to build? Or don't build exactly what God tells us don't build? But it says he didn't. And the scripture says, in, in, in the, the sixth chapter, later down in that chapter, it says, Noah did everything that God commanded. I do most of the things that God commanded me. 
Shouldn't that be good enough? Not really. It says Noah did everything God commanded him. And God gave him some pretty specific instructions. God gave him some pretty specific instructions and some detailed instructions. And depending on what translations you have, some say it says go for wood. Some of the new translations say cypress. But it says it told him what kind of wood, how big to build the boat. It said, now look, I want you to build a big boat. This is the kind of wood I want. I want you to put tar and pitch on the inside. I want you to put tar and pitch on the outside. He said, you're going to build this boat 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, 45 feet um, tall, and leave an 18-inch gap around the side. Yeah, around the top. I mean, he told him exactly how to build the boat. And it says Noah did everything God told him to do. I think sometimes we're so familiar with this story, we forget the magnitude of the story. I know we've had a few of our folks have the opportunity to go up to Kentucky and see the ark. Let me just tell you, if you ever get in that part of the world, go see the ark. I mean, it is just, it is mind-boggling when you see a boat sitting up there on the bank for because I to, first thing when, when you round the corner and you see it you can, in my mind I can picture the people of Noah's day standing out there and I mean this because it's on dry land you, you know and this massive massive boat is sitting up on dry land and you're saying what in the world I, I can imagine Noah's folks neighbors thought he was completely out of his mind you know and but it's interesting. Cultures, we're told that from historical documents, there is no record in, in history anywhere before about 1400 of a boat anywhere near this size being built. It's about 1400 AD before a boat that comes close. Some of the Vikings and some, they, and most of those boats from, from history, they were two and three hundred foot boats, not four. We don't have a recorded documented case until the late 1800s of a boat big or bigger than Noah's boat being built. Think about that. I mean, this boat is built in the beginning, and, you know, we're 18-something before we have a boat that the magnitude of this, the, 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 the enormity of what God's asking him to do, and he does it because he believes. Now, look, critics have tried to dismiss the flood story, and I, I, I love critics. Because critics will twist the information however they want it to make their point. I mean, it's, critics will tell you that um, if you wonder if something is, is fact, most of the time you can tell it by the number of times that, that that information shows back up. So in the case of the flood, they say that the flood is just a story in this book. It really didn't happen. It was probably a local flood that affected a little area, but it wasn't a global flood. It couldn't have been a global flood. You know, there's no... But there's 2,700 recorded cases from around the world, from China to Mexico to Hawaii to, to the, the, the Babylonian Empire. To, I mean, it, it is just, it's recorded everywhere about this huge, catastrophic, worldwide global flood. If it was any other story than this one, the historians would say, well, it has to be true because we've got 2,700 accounts from all over the world. Now, some of them they call myths nowadays, but we've got 2,700 accounts where this story of this great flood happened. They'd be using that as information to prove that it happened. But since it seems to be a Bible story about God, well, then no, there's no way that really could have happened. I mean, the facts say it did happen, folks. You know, and then others will claim, well, 
even a boat that big, even a boat as big as no, you couldn't have got two of every kind of animal on it. I mean, that's just impossible. They hadn't seen the boat, folks. And, and I tried to put things in, in my mind in a context where I can understand. How many of you have been in, 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 at a train track somewhere in Livingston Parish waiting on the train? Yeah, at some point you've been there, you've been in a train going, click, 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 click. A long train, 50, 60 cars. You get a really long one, 100, 150 cars, and I mean, you think that train's going to keep going forever. The ark, the ark, space-wise, you know the big box cars that are on a train? 556 box cars. So next time you eat the train track, you just start counting them when they come by, and when the 556 one goes by, think of everything you could have just put in them 556 train cars. That's how big the ark was. The other thing I think that um, we, we misinterpret when it says two of every kind, he didn't need to bring cocker spaniels and German shepherds and Labradors. He needed to bring two dogs, folks. <laughs> That's it. Two dogs. You know, we, we know that dogs come from crossbreeding and interbreeding and, and, and adaptation to their climate and all those kinds of things. He didn't need to bring all those. And that applies to everything, folks. You know, he didn't need to bring polar bears and black bears and brown bears and grizzly bears. He just needed to bring two bears. And nobody ever said that the bears had to be full grown. You know, I mean, he could have brought smaller ones, you know. I mean, you know, maybe you, but you know. And, and so there was plenty room on the ark. And if you ever get the opportunity to go to Kentucky and see the ark, they'll even explain more of the details of that. And if, folks, this really happened, you know, I don't care what anybody tells you, this is a real event, and I mean, it happened. The point is, is that Noah had faith, and Noah believed God, and Noah obeyed God in every detail. The author of the 11th chapter emphasizes that in the book of Hebrews. He says, Noah obeyed and built. Noah obeyed and built. Didn't mean he had to understand it. Didn't mean he had to have all the facts. But he understood he needed to obey. Roger Staubach, um, for all our Dallas fans, they know who that is. He was the quarterback one time. I don't know if he's any good, but, you know. But, but any, you know, he was, he was the quarterback of, of, of um, the Dallas Cowboys, and in 1971, he, he won a Super Bowl. And, and in his life, he was writing about events, and one of the things he tells about in one of his um, books that, that, that's, that's about him, he tells one of his sources of aggravation was um, he never called a play as a quarterback. You know, he never got to call a, uh, the play because um, Coach Landry called all the plays. Coach Landry told him when to run, when to pass, when to option. He told him everything, every play. And only in extreme emergency, he better deviate from that, and he better be right when he deviate from it, okay? And he said that was really frustrating to him because he says from a pride standpoint, he said um, he was the quarterback. It was his team. He ought to be able to call the plays. He, you know, he, now, he said he recognized that, that Landry was a, a genius and a good coach, but, but he said the pride part of it, he said he just ought to have been able to do it. And he, he wrote this statement in his book. When I faced up to the issue of obedience, once I learned to obey, there was harmony, peace, fulfillment, and victory. Folks, we just take that and apply that to our God and, and what Roger says is on point. When, when, when I face up to the issue of obedience, when we decide we're going to obey God, once I learned to obey, there was harmony, peace, fulfillment, and victory. That's what this story is about. 
when we get to the point that we're willing to face up to obedience and that um, God's plan is better than our plans, all them other things that we want, all those other things. How many of you want harmony, peace, fulfillment, and victory? I'm telling you, I've never encountered anybody that's like, oh, no, I, I like all this. No, I mean, that's what we want. Noah had to be tempted to run his own play. <laughs> I mean, he had to. I mean, he struggled. I, we, we, we all do. I mean, we want to do things our way. And, and, but faith, faith means trusting and obeying. Faith means believing that God means what God says. And so that means we're going to obey. And, you know, look, when we may not understand why we need to be baptized, but God says you need to be baptized. He says, God says, after you accept my son as, as Savior and, and you've had your sins forgiven, then you need to be obedient and be baptized. He says, once you um, are, are a Christian and say, he says, you need to tithe. You need to give a tenth of your income to my work. We may not understand it. We may not like it. But if we're going to be obedient, if we're going to demonstrate our faith, then we have to do it. You know, he says you're supposed to be a loving neighbor. And some of you have neighbors that you don't like loving. And some of them are hard to love. But God says, if you're going to be obedient, if you're going to have faith, then you've got to love. I don't like God's timing a lot of times, folks. There's a lot of things I would like to do on a different time schedule. You know what? But if I'm going to be obedient, when God says, this is the time to do this, then that's the time to do it. And that's what the story is about. And so when we learn to believe and build, obey as Noah did, then we're going to be like Noah. And you know the third Part of the story, Noah was blessed, and Noah was blessed by God. I mean, when we get where we believe that God means what God says, and we obey what God tells us to do, the ultimate outcome is always going to be God blesses us. Now, listen, when you read that passage, when we get to where he was blessed, when it was over, when what was over? When the flood was, when the rain stopped, when the water receded, you know, it didn't say I blessed Noah before that. It didn't say I blessed Noah while he was building the ark. It doesn't say I blessed Noah while they floated around in the water all that time. It doesn't say I blessed Noah every day while he shoveled elephant poop. I mean, it doesn't say, it doesn't say any of that. It says then. It says then when it was over and the rain stopped, it says then God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Have many children and grow in numbers and fill the earth. You know, I think sometimes we want to um, be blessed and then we'll believe and obey. <laughs> Isn't that the way? If God will bless me, then I'll believe that God means what God says and then I'll be obedient what God does. It doesn't work that way, folks. <laughs> it says you've got to believe. Then you've got to be obedient. Then the blessings come. That, that's the, the order it always works in. You know, now the primary substance of, of, of Noah's blessings that he'd be blessed with many children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren and great-great-grandchildren enough to, to repopulate the entire world. And so if you don't know it, folks, um, you came from Noah. <laughs> I tell people all that all the time when they want to. I, I watch this commercial, with, and I know Dolly probably gets aggravated because I talk to the TV a lot of times. You know, and they want to do the DNA stuff to see where you came. I know where I came from, folks. <laughs> I came from Noah. You know, I mean, I, I, I don't have to have any DNA test to go back and figure that out. You know, you came from Noah. 
You know, and that's the way it works. And, and so, but, but Noah recognized that children were a blessing and, and the Bible depicts, depicts children as blessings from God. It was a sign of divine favor. And it breaks my heart to think of how many children who's had their life ended before they ever took their first breath. Um, in America, I'm told, um, almost 2 million abortions a year. Yet man, Noah, a man of faith, a man acquainted with God, would have never even considered such a thought because he believed God. He believed God, and he believed what God said God would do. And children were a sign of God's love and blessing on lives. Noah's experience after the flood brings to the surface a biblical principle. Belief coupled with obedience leads to blessings. Belief coupled with obedience leads to blessings. Now, am I saying that if, if you believe and are obedient that you're going to have everything in your word, if you speak words of faith that it's going to come true and you know, look, that's not the way it works. And regardless of what some teachers today would teach and some preachers today would preach, um, it's nonsense. In, in the book, um, We Let Our Son Die by Larry Parker and his wife, they relate the tragic story of, of how um, at one point in their life they let what, and I'll just use the, the word they use, word of faith preachers. Um, they, they let a word of faith preacher influence them and withhold insulin from their diabetic son. Um, eventually, um, that diabetic son went in a diabetic coma and, and died. And uh, they didn't even hold a funeral service. Um, they wouldn't acknowledge he was dead. They held a resurrection service because they had faith that God was going to raise him from the dead. And um, they were eventually tried and convicted of manslaughter and child abuse. And so, you know, but I say that to tell you, faith, no matter how strong it is, does not guarantee prosperity or healing. Faith, no matter how strong it is, does not guarantee prosperity or healing. Abraham Lincoln wrote, faith is not believing that God can, but that God will. That's wrong, folks. <laughs> that, that, that's not, that's not, in the biblical context, that's right. I think that's all backwards. I mean, you know, I think that's what some of the word of faith teachers today want to teach. Genuine faith recognizes that God alone is sovereign. That's what genuine faith is. Recognizing that God and God alone is sovereign. And it doesn't matter whether you like his plans, don't like his plans, agree with the plans. God is sovereign and God alone is sovereign. And we don't always, and certainly he can, certainly he can bless us and give us what we want, but that doesn't necessarily mean that he will. Okay, God is sovereign. Genuine faith is faith in God, not faith in faith. And sometimes I hear people say, well, if I just had more faith. No, you don't need more faith, folks. And, and I understand that's a little bit of a contradiction in terms. You just need a little faith in a big God. Okay, because it's not about faith for the sake of faith. Faith means that you believe in God. And many of the women, if you go back and read that 11th chapter, many of the women that make the Hall of Fame, as it's called, sometimes 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews, um, 
were penniless, were persecuted, died painful deaths. Their lives were not characterized by prosperity, but they were shining examples of faith. And God has called us to be a people of faith. So what does it mean when the Bible says that if you have belief and you're obedient and it ends up in God's blessings, it simply means when we put our faith in Him, God will always work things out for our good men. The verse that all of you know from Romans, Romans, 10, Romans 8, says, And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose. It says, we know that God's going to work it all together or good. You know, the, the greatest blessings in all of our lives, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, is the gift of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. The gift of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And I mean, the events of the ark and the events of Noah's life are a beautiful picture of how God provided salvation in the midst of certain catastrophe and death. Because Noah believed that God, when God said, I am going to destroy all life, and because Noah believed and in faith trusted God and obeyed God and did what God, he was spared. Well, it's the same today in our world, folks. God says the day is coming when Jesus Christ is going to return. God says the day is coming when um, this planet is not going to be wiped out by flood, but wiped out by fire. That day is coming. And he says, if you don't believe that, he says, then the odds of you obeying the God that said that is pretty slim. He says, but if you'll believe that God will do what God says, then you just might be obedient. And he says, if you are obedient, I will provide salvation. I will provide a way through Jesus Christ, his son. You know, God's promised he's never going to destroy with another global flood. But God has not promised that he's not going to destroy the world. Matter of fact, God has promised just the opposite, that this planet will end. You know, they can talk about global warming. They can talk about global freezing. I don't care. But this planet is doomed, folks. <laughs> you know, and, it's, and they, they can make all the climate changes they want. They can reduce all the emissions they want. This planet is doomed, okay? And it's doomed because the creator of this planet has said so. Belief. Noah believed. Noah built. Noah was blessed. In a moment, we're going to um, have a song of invitation. We don't always talk about that's what we call them, but they are songs of invitation. The invitation hymn when I was a kid, the invitation song, I don't know what they're going to sing in a minute, but the invitation. And, and the invitation, and that's what it means, particularly today, it's an open invitation for anyone that needs anything. If, if you're struggling in your faith and you need somebody to pray with you, come. If you're struggling because it's been a year and things haven't turned out the way you thought they'd turn out, and it's been a year and you've prayed and you believe and your life is still not back to normal, it's okay, folks. Come come pray. Come, come, come talk to Jesus. He, he, he does understand. Maybe you want to come today and thank God. I've talked to a lot of our flood people. You know the number one things people tell me they're, they're grateful for in the flood? Or at least that's Howard's perspective. So I, They don't have carpet in their house anymore. I, I can't tell you how many. I said, if you could just tell me one thing that you're glad. We don't have carpet in the house. So I'm just telling you, if you build it, don't put carpet in it because nobody likes it after a while. So, you know, just, but you know, there's, there's a lot of reasons to be grateful. 
As I mentioned earlier, folks, you know, short of the grace of God, we should have, we should have had hundreds and hundreds of people die. But in grace, God spared. You know, and, and, and we, we have much to be thankful for. I, I just, you know, maybe you just need to tell God you're thankful. I can't tell you how many people I've talked to in the last year that experienced the flood. And everybody experienced the flood. We had 22 families in our church that experienced the flood water-wise firsthand. But let me tell you, you didn't live in Livingston Parish and not experience the flood. Because at some point, um, if you didn't help somebody, if you didn't house somebody, if you wasn't part of the flood, um, you probably need to come up here and pray because of that. You know, the flood affected all of us in our parish. You know, and I'm grateful for so many, but, but you know, so many people have, have told me if I didn't learn anything else in the flood, I learned two things. All that stuff is stuff. And I have way too much stuff. And that still applies today, folks. A year later, it's still stuff, and most of us have too much stuff. You know, But maybe the invitation you need to hear is that God still has an ark. <laughs> it's called Jesus Christ. Maybe you need to come get in the ark. Maybe you need to come and, and ask Jesus Christ to forgive your sins. Because see, the reality is, folks, Noah's faith started long before the day it started raining. And God's been working in a lot of your lives for a long time. And you've just never taken the next step. But the sad part about the year before the flood is Noah kept telling people and kept offering them a way to be saved. And up until the day that the rain came, they could have waited to day 362, 363, and God still would have spared their life. But eight people got in the boat. The day is going to come when Jesus is going to return. And there's going to be a lot of people they are going to be a day too late. Because they were going to get around to that next week. They were going to get around to that tomorrow, but not today. Don't miss the boat, folks. Don't miss the boat.